Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Okay, quick question. I just want to ask you guys. A survey was done in the United States asking what is the favorite candy of the people of America. And I just want to ask you, if you had to guess, what would you guess people's favorite candy is in the United States? What do you got? Snickers. Snickers. What else? Reese's. Cups or pieces? Cups, obviously. Candy corn. Okay, wait, I just, I have to stop everyone for a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Candy corn, go. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, come back, we love you. (laughs) Listen, I know this, that if I ever have to buy you a gift aid and candy corn is cheap because nobody likes it, so we're squared, we're good. Okay, this is interesting. So the number one candy in the United States, according to a survey done in 2018, is, drum roll, M&M's. M&M's, yeah. Yeah, we had some M&M shutters. This is the number two, the number two, and here's the, 85% of respondents said they like M&M's. 83%, just a very close second, were Reese's peanut butter cups, which is my favorite right there. Now, what do you guys see in common between those two things? Anybody, what do you got? Chocolate, okay, well, obviously the best candy is gonna have chocolate. We can do better than that, can't we? Okay, what, anything, anyone else? Peanuts? No, no. Candy corn. No, here, okay, let me tell you, let me tell you. This is what is, this is interesting to me. The thing that is in common between the two favorite candies in the United States is this, is that they're all candy with something on the outside and something else different in the center. People love candy with stuff that is in the center. Like, have you ever got one of those assorted assorted boxes of chocolates? Like, why are those fun? They're fun because you get to crack it open and find out what's in the center. Now, some people have fun, like, looking at the roadmap. Any roadmap followers, like, I only want to eat the nougat center. And this is, you know, anybody like that? No, you guys, you guys are boring. Here's what's awesome about these sort of candies is taking a piece out, biting it, and then discovering what is on the inside and trying to figure it out. And, and sometimes you got to spit it out. Like, dude, like, I, yeah, I literally just coughed it out. Like, chocolate with fruit in it? Ugh disgusting like I'll spit that stuff out like that's like that's the equivalent of a black jelly bean you know what I mean like a black licorice jelly bean gross gross but but discovering what's in the center of that chocolate and then tasting it and saying "Ooh, I like this and then saying what do you think that is it is the best uncovering and discovering the mystery of what is in the center of a delicious piece of candy we are in a little bit of a message series that's similar to that because in the same way that you might take a piece of candy or Reese's peanut butter cup and open it up and unwrap it and then take a bite in to get to that delicious peanut butter center, we've been in a message series called The Bible for Grownups. And I think what we've been doing in discovering the story of the Bible is kind of unwrapping it and biting into it to see what's at the center. And the reason we can do that is because the Bible that you got, the Bible that I got when I got a Bible, is different than the Bible that the world got. So for example, when you got your Bible, it was wrapped and it was chaptered and maybe your name was stamped on the front of it and maybe there were tabs on it so you could just flip it open really quick and get to where you wanted to go. That was how you got your Bible. You opened it up, boom, you had it. It was all right there. But the world didn't get the Bible that way. We got our Bibles just by opening the wrapper and taking a bite in to get to the center. The world got the Bible very differently. You see, the way the world got the Bible is the world got the peanut butter first. 
And then added to the peanut butter was an outer coat of chocolate as, as it began to evolve and expand. And then the wrapper kind of wrapped around it over it over decades and centuries. And so what's been exciting about the message series, The Bible for Grownups, is this, is that we've been able to uncover the story of the Bible to really get to the heart and the, the delicious candy center of the Bible. And that's what I want to uncover for us today. What is the delicious candy center of the Bible? Now, a couple weeks ago when we started this message series, we talked about the fact that the reason we have a Bible at all, the only reason that, is, that it exists for us as it does today was because of an event. Something happened. And that was this. Jesus lived, and then Jesus died. Now, if Jesus had stayed dead, we would still have no Bible because the story would have ended there. Jesus' story would have ended there. But something happened. And what happened was this, is that Jesus rose from the dead and people saw it. And as a result, there were people who wanted to document his life. They said, we have seen this incredible thing. We have to write this thing down. This has to be documented and it has to be shared. And so the first century church began, and they began around these written stories of the life of Jesus. And more followers of Jesus began to expand. It began to expand outside of Jerusalem and Judea and the area of Galilee, which is just kind of the, the Middle East, and, and it expanded outside of the Jewish world. And people who weren't Jewish started to become followers of Jesus. And that was a little unexpected. And as people who were Gentile Christians or Roman Christians, who had no Jewish background, began to follow Jesus, they began to discover the fact that Jesus was Jewish. And so they became enamored with the Jewish scriptures that Jesus grew up with. Because if, if these are the, thing, the, 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 the things that Jesus read and that Jesus grew up with, I want to read them too. I want to know where Jesus came from. And so these Gentile, these Roman Christians with no Jewish background begin to read the Jewish scriptures, which we would call today the Old Testament. And then, as Mitch talked about last week, as they begin to read the Old Testament, they begin to, to not only be, become, feel like they're closer to Jesus and knowing where he came from, but they begin to, to read things in the Old Testament that were really interesting. And the, so Mitch talked about Isaiah chapter 53 last week, and, and as Gentile Christians begin reading this passage that was written 400 years before Jesus was even born, and they begin to read this and go, well, wait a minute. Isaiah's talking about this, a suffering servant, someone who, who's going to come and he's going to suffer for his people and he's going he's to take the sin away from his people and he's going to, to die for his people. And they're like, well, wait, this was written 400 years ago and I have no Jewish background, but you know, I'm, no, I'm no dummy and I kind of think that's talking about Jesus. If, it's almost like somebody wrote that today about what we are experiencing now, but it was 400 years ago. And so now the story of the Bible expands, and, and so the Old Testament Jewish scriptures are not just this thing that Jesus read, but they become this thing that Jesus is, is in, and they begin to find Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. And so we've, we've found ourselves at this point when the evolution of the Bible, it started out with the biography, biographies of Jesus, and then kind of the, the Christian community in the first century, including the Old Testament Jewish scriptures. And I think this, I think that to get to the real heart, the real delicious candy center of the Bible, the thing that makes it so incredible and so amazing, the thing that it is all about, that we have to end our message series talking about someone who wrote a good portion of the Bible, and that person is the Apostle Paul. Now, a little background on the Apostle Paul. Um, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a church planter in the first century. He is really single-handedly responsible for planting churches all along the Mediterranean Rim. Um, he, he may be one of the most influential people in all of church history uh, in, in getting the church started. Not only that, but, but the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. 
Out of the 27 books that we have that exist in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of those books. Now, I would like you, in thinking about this stuff, I would like you to not think about those things as books, right? Because for us, New Testament, those are books. But for Paul, there was no New Testament and there were no books. For Paul, they were just, they were letters that he wrote to churches that he had planted or letters that he wrote to, to people who he had developed, to his protégés, and he was trying to encourage them and develop them as well. Uh, the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church, he actually hadn't been to Rome, but he wrote that because he wanted to visit them, and he just wanted to encourage them and teach them uh, what it meant to truly follow Jesus and, and to just guide them on that path. And so the Apostle Paul wrote most of what we call the New Testament today. And it's interesting, even if you are not a Bible person, you're not a Christian and you're here today, you've probably heard of the Apostle Paul because his writings are inconclusively had a huge influence on the development of Western culture as it exists around our world. And you don't have to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian or a Bible person uh, to, to know that Paul's influence is felt around the world even today. What makes Paul so unique and so equipped, I think, to, to help us get to the center the, of the Bible and what, what it's all about and what it's communicating is the fact that even though Paul was a follower of Jesus and was so instrumental in both writing about the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus and how we can follow Jesus, uh, Paul actually came from a, a very Jewish background. Paul was a Pharisee. He actually refers to himself as a Jew of Jews in one of his letters. Um, he, was, he was the epitome of a good religious Jewish teacher. And he had been trained to be that for his entire life. In fact, when, to, in order to be a Pharisee, you start your rabbinical training uh, as, to be a rabbi. You start that as a child. And Jewish children who are on this track, they memorize a ton of the Jewish scriptures. There are, we know there's 27 books in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, there, there's 39 books, 39 separate pieces of literature that have been compiled into the Jewish scriptures. And out of those 39, the first five books of the, the Jewish scripture are, are, scriptures are called the Pentateuch. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, and what's interesting about that is that it kind of sets up the history, the backstory of Judaism. It starts with Moses and Abraham, and it tells how Judaism uh, it came into the world. And, and the rest of the books of the Pentateuch are, are basically made up of the hundreds of Jewish laws that were handed down to the Jewish people, over 600 Jewish laws. And if you were a good Jewish student and you were on track to be a Pharisee or a rabbi, if you were a good religious Jew like Paul, you would have memorized all five of the books of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, has anyone memorized in this room the first five books of the Old Testament? No? Has anybody memorized five verses of the Old Testament? I mean, like, think about that. He, he could quote you five books of the Jewish scripture. That was Paul's background. Now, as a good Jewish leader, as a good Jewish teacher, Paul was completely sold out to the faith. And when Christianity rose up, for good religious Jews, it was heresy. Christianity was something that needed to be stomped out. It was heretical. It was antithetical to everything that Judaism was all about. And it was blasphemy against the Jewish God. 
And so Paul, as, as, a, as a zealous Jew, as someone who's passionate about his faith and his religion, he believed that Christianity needed to be completely stomped out. And if you're here, you're not a Christian, and maybe you think Christianity's a little hokey, and you're not totally down with church people, you would love Paul, okay, because Paul hated Christians, okay? He just hated them. In fact, Paul got letters from the, the high priests of the Jewish temple that gave him the authority to go all around the ancient Jewish world arresting, imprisoning, and torturing Christians until they would deny Jesus. Separating families. Paul actually, he stood watch while the very first Christian was murdered for his faith, which started a cascade of persecution and of of torture and arrests and death that happened in the church. And it all started in one moment where the apostle Paul was standing there holding the coats of the men who were throwing rocks at Stephen, the first Christian who ever died for his faith in Jesus. So now you've got Paul, the the good Jew who hates Christianity and wants to stomp it out because it's blasphemous and it's heresy. And then he has this encounter, this moment where he encounters Jesus in his life and he becomes a follower of Jesus. And Paul, who completely knew the Jewish scriptures inside and out, is now a follower of Jesus, is now a person who's written the majority of the New Testament. And even what he didn't write, he was a, a subject and was referenced in much of of the stories of the New Testament as well. And so Paul straddles the Jewish scripture and the New Testament scripture, the Judaism and Christianity, and he is uniquely equipped where he's at to bring those two things together and to, to enlighten for us the heart of what the Bible is, this section of Jewish scripture we call the Old Testament, these New Testament writings that are founded and kind of started with Jesus's life. What is it all about? And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this, I, this is awesome. This is, one of, this is probably one of the key sections of, of New Testament uh, where it really speaks to the heart of Christianity. And Paul says this. He says, now, brothers and sisters. Now, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing to a church in Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians, because the people were Corinthians. And he's writing to people who are followers of Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. I want to remind you of what I taught you, okay? What, what you got from me, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. So what I taught you is the foundational thing that your faith is based on. And it's by this gospel that you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. And so everything he says, like, this is what I taught you. This is the most important thing. This is the foundation. And then he says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, Paul's, he's giving the Corinthians the most important thing, right? The foundational thing is it. But he wants to make sure they know that what he passed on to them, that he also received, Now, Paul wants to make sure that you are clear, that they are clear. He's not making this up, okay? Paul's not just dealing with a bunch of church problems and saying, you know what? Well, let's just try this. Let's throw this this against the wall and let's see what sticks. He's not trying to establish some sort of religious structure or system on his own, some system of beliefs that people can follow. He's saying this, I received this and I passed it on to you. And what I passed on to you is what I heard from people who were there. What I heard from people who who were eyewitnesses, this is what I have heard myself and I gave it exactly to you. I'm not making this up. And then he goes on and he continues to say this, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, colon, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures. Now, I, I think this is interesting. Paul's writing a letter to a Gentile church. Corinth is not a Jewish city. It is, it's a Gentile city. These are Romans. And he's talking to them about the foundational truth that he taught to them, this gospel. And he says this, remember this, this is of utmost importance, that Jesus died for your sins. And then what he said, what does he say after that? As was recorded in the scriptures. And then he, he rose from the dead on the third day, as was recorded in the scriptures. This is fascinating because do you see what Paul's doing? Paul is pointing back to what the Jewish scriptures had taught about the coming Messiah and what that person would do and what would happen in that person's life and what they would do in the world. Now, I think this is fascinating because for us, when we see, like when we read the Bible, the New Testament, when we see it refer to the word of God or to the scriptures, for us, it's like all 66 books of the Bible, you know, it's all, it's all there. But that's not what Paul's referring to because there was no Bible. It didn't exist. They did not have a Bible in the first century. And so when Paul says that Jesus died for your sins according, as according to the scriptures, what the scripture says, what is he referring to? He's referring to the Jewish writings and the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. This is what Paul is saying. As he, as he gets to the, to the heart, to the center of what, what, what we call the Bible is all about, he's saying this, that the Jewish scriptures, everything that they are about, they point ahead to Jesus. The Old Testament that we have in the Bible, what is it all about? It's about this. It's about pointing ahead to Jesus. It's, it's a historical document written thousands and, and thousands of years ago. And what is it doing? It was pointing ahead to a moment in history where Jesus would be alive. The Old Testament points ahead to Jesus, to his death and his resurrection. Then Paul continues. He says, he says that, that I passed on you was in first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So I love it. Paul starts, Old Testament points ahead to Jesus. But he's like, but it's not just that. He's like, it was according to the scriptures, but he's like, I know that like, it can be weird sometimes. Maybe some of you guys don't have a real religious bent. And you know, like the idea of like the prophetic utterance of scripture, some of you guys are like, whatever. That's like, you know, that's like Harry Potter, right? You know, the one who will come and take out he who will be named. And like, you hear the word prophecy, you're like, I'm checked out, okay? I hear the word prophecy, nope. And there were those who were like, yeah, yeah, according to scripture. But, but Paul's like, it was according to scripture, but here's what else I want you to know. That Jesus, after he rose from the dead, it wasn't just some prophecy that he appeared to Peter. That Peter saw him dead, Peter saw him placed in the tomb, and then Peter saw him alive. And then he's like, but it wasn't just Peter, because then after that he appeared to all the rest of the disciples, like the, the rest of the 12, that those guys saw him, they saw him die, and then they saw him alive too. And he's like, but wait, 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 okay. He's like, I know some of you guys are skeptical and like I know 13 guys could probably put together some conspiracy to like, you know, build a religion so they can have some sort of religious power and if like as long as they can keep their mouths shut, you know, they could have made this whole thing up. He's like, but so there's like, there's 12 guys right there, but like there were 500 people at one time who also saw this. And then Paul's like, and just so you know, like they're still alive. 
Like you could, you know, DM them on Twitter. Like hit them up. You can, you can ask them because they were there. And even, like here's what's so cool too is that he's like, though some have fallen asleep. I love how when Paul says, though some have fallen asleep, you know why? Is because that means what he's referring to is that some have died. But here's what's so amazing is that because these people had seen Jesus live, they'd seen him die, and they'd seen him raised from the dead, that even their whole perspective on death and what death was was radically and completely changed. Because death to them now is not death, because Jesus is alive and they saw it. So now, yeah, there was 500 people who saw him raised from the dead. Some of them have fallen asleep. We're gonna see them again, you know, because Jesus. And so they'll be back because Jesus rose from the dead. And so Paul is saying this, according to scriptures, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures pointed ahead and said, hey guys, be on the lookout because this is gonna happen. Someone's gonna fulfill these things. And then he's saying like, there were people like Peter, like the writers of the gospels, the people who were interviewed for the writing of the gospels. You know, the, so Old Testament says point ahead. The gospels say right now, this urgent right now moment, this is a thing that's happening among us here and now. People saw it and people witnessed it. Jesus is alive. And here's, this is something that's interesting about this whole like section in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 too. Now this gets a little historical, um, but I want to speak to those of us who have a little bit of a skeptical bent because I understand that I'm, I'm a skeptic at heart. Now it's easy for us to look at this and go, okay, like I know we say this, that this person wrote that book and this person wrote that book and this is what happened, but there's a lot of historians out there who say that we can't really know who wrote these documents. And there's historians out there and they say, you know what, like, like the, the stuff in the gospels, like the miraculous stuff, there's really no evidence of that. And, and there's doc we could document maybe the teachings of Jesus, but like, you know, Chris, I mean, honestly, like there's really just no way that we could know that people didn't just make this up. They loved Jesus, they were his followers, and he died. I could understand how people who had invested so much of themselves into this would want to, to say that he was alive because they wouldn't want to lose what they have. And, and so there are those who might say that like this was all a made up thing. And here's what I want to walk through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, he, he, he says this. He says, I've received what I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, you remember that colon that was in there? That little, the two dots, not like the, the two dot colon, not the colon colon, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, remember those two dots? Paul says, this is what I passed on to you as first importance. And then what follows is almost, it's almost as if he's quoting something. It doesn't sound like just Paul saying something. In fact, in, in your Bible, the one that you have, you will see that this is not, this section is not in paragraph form. It's almost in the form of like a poem or song lyrics when it's written. And, and, and the reason that is, is because Paul is actually quoting a Christian creed right here. Now, some of us are familiar with creeds. Some of us have grown up in uh, like mainline denominational church backgrounds. You know, maybe you're in Catholicism or you're Methodist or Lutheran where creeds are something that is very common. Basically, a creed is this. A creed is a statement of belief that is put into easy language to remember and repeat that's what a creed is, and creeds have existed in Christianity for centuries. I mean, really, since, since the very beginning, creeds have existed. And what Paul is quoting here is what many historians believe is the very first Christian creed that was ever put together. So the very first statement of belief that Christians, that followers of Jesus, held on to, that they memorized, that they pass on to new followers of Jesus so that they could memorize and so that they could hold on tightly to the things that they believe. Now, here's something that's cool about this creed specifically and the, histor the historicity of it that matters. When Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, it's about 53 AD. 
which is about 20, 22 years after Jesus has died. We believe Jesus died between 30 and 33 AD. So the, the letter to the Corinthian church was written 20 years after Jesus' death. That's when he's documenting this written creed. Now historians, whether Christian or not Christian, they believe this. They believe that this creed, this statement of belief in Jesus, was something that was developed almost immediately after Jesus died. So immediately after Jesus died, and if I'm saying Jesus died if you take a full stop there, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, even non-Christian historians believe that this creed took root almost immediately after that. In fact, let me read a quote from you. This is from Robert Funk, which is an awesome name. Robert Funk. Okay, and this is what he says. Just so you know, Robert Funk was a founder of the Jesus Seminar, and the Jesus Seminar was something that kind of came up in the late 90s, uh, and essentially it was a group of of historians, Bible historians, who were not followers of Jesus. They really didn't believe uh, any of the, the spiritual aspects of the Bible or the New Testament, and the Jesus Seminar was set up basically to discredit the religious teachings of Jesus. So the Jesus Seminar, their goal was to discredit all the miraculous, all the things of Jesus, and to just paint him as solely a historical figure who taught. That was Robert Funk's goal in starting the Jesus Seminar, and this is what he says. He says this about Christians at the very beginning. The conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead had already taken root by the time that Paul was converted in around 33 CE, A.D., On the assumption that Jesus died in around 30 CE or AD, the time for development of this creed was thus two to three years at most. So get this, this is not a follower of Jesus and he's saying this, there were Christians, there were followers of Jesus who were convinced. A conviction had developed in this community within the first couple years, probably almost immediately after Jesus died, that he had risen from the dead, and this creed had developed. This creed that we know has lasted for 20 years, and this is why this is important, okay? Like, you could maybe believe that if we'd never seen this creed, or if if Paul was making this thing up in 53 AD, you could maybe believe that, well, here Paul is, and he's trying to affirm the fact that people have made up this myth about Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Because they can, right? This religion's developed, they've all got jobs now, they're making money off of it. We could understand how maybe he would make this thing up just to continue to affirm this myth that Jesus had risen from the dead. But that's not where this creed came from. This creed came up grassroots among people who were followers of Jesus. At a time when there were eyewitnesses to his resurrection, but there were also eyewitnesses who could completely disprove his resurrection if it hadn't happened. This creed, this conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead, developed at a time where where people could say, I saw him, this happened, he's alive. But it also happened at the same time where there were hundreds of people who could have said the exact opposite, say, nope, I know you're lying, it's not true, you're my crazy, you know, sister-in-law. Boom, you're done. You know, there were people who could knock it down just as easily as there were people who were eyewitnesses who said, this is a real thing that happened. And it's not just about the eyewitness battle of people who could disprove and prove, but think about this. Paul became a Christian in about 33 AD, which means between Jesus' death in that three-year period, Paul was active in persecuting Christians. They were being killed, they were being imprisoned, and they were being tortured. And all the while that they were being imprisoned 
and tortured, separated from their families, they were quoting and reciting this creed that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he rose from the dead three days later according to the scriptures, that Peter saw it, that the other disciples saw it, that then later 500 people saw it. Some of these people were eyewitnesses. And as they were being arrested and as they were being tortured, at any point they could have said, all right, you got me, I made this up. My bad, you know, it's not worth snipping off my toes, you know, for this myth that I made up. I was trying to make a little bit of money. I was trying to keep this thing going, but you know what? I made it up. It's not worth me being separated from my kids and being put in prison. This was fun while it lasted, but you got me. It It was a myth. It was a lie. These were people who were willing to put their lives on the line for a conviction. In Robert Funk's words, a conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. And why would they do that? Like, I would never put my life or my family or my freedom in jeopardy to stand up in front of you and say, guys, I'm telling you, Rumpelstiltskin is true. You can spin straw into gold if you just believe. If you put a gun to my head and said, really, I'll shoot you. If you can't spin this straw into gold, I'd be like, eh, you got me. Okay, don't shoot. I can't do it. But these were people who were willing to put their lives on the line, not just for a belief, but for something that they'd witnessed or something that they had seen. And then you got Paul, a second generation follower of Jesus, who didn't see these things firsthand, and yet was willing to put his life on the line. Paul was tortured, he was stoned to death, people threw rocks at him until he, they thought he was dead, and then they left him there. He was in prison for years. Paul walked away from his lucrative life as a Pharisee. He had respect. People looked up to him. He was admired. And he walked away from all that. And think about how crazy this is. Paul didn't walk away from his life as a Pharisee to go to some other, you know, religion. Because then, for Paul, Christianity was the conclusion of Judaism. Paul, walked, Paul did not walk away from all of those things for some different God. He, he was worshiping the same God. Just through the lenses of what Jesus had done. All of these things happened because of one man and what had happened. And that was Jesus and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. This creed was developed and established almost immediately when eyewitnesses could validate it or completely disprove it. It was when this thing was set up. And the events that initiated the movement of Christianity, all around us, they do one thing. They point to Jesus. They point to his death. And they point to his resurrection. And this is what Paul would say. If Paul sat with us today and we opened up our Bibles and he looked at that and he's like, oh, snap, I wrote some of that. That's awesome. And he'd flip through it and he'd look at it and go, he's like, wow, you know what I see here? Let me show you what I see here. He'd say this. He'd say, all the Jewish scripture, the Old Testament, man, that all points ahead to Jesus. And then the Gospels, the four books begin the New Testament, these biographies of Jesus' life. He's like, man, look at this. These like urgently point to Jesus' life to the urgency of Jesus' life in this moment right now. And he'd say, and what's cool is like everything I wrote, he's like, you want to know why I wrote these things? I wrote these things so that I could point back to Jesus' life. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is cool. He writes this to one of his protégés, someone who he developed to plant and lead churches on his own. And he says, you have heard me teach things 
that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, right out of the gate, Paul's saying this again. You've heard me teach things about Jesus that, that then you met eyewitnesses who saw it. It's like, it, it's not just my word. You heard my word. You heard what I said. And then you heard reliable witnesses who confirmed what I taught to you. And then he says this. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Everything that Paul was about was this. I was taught this. This is what was passed to me. This is what I received. And I'm passing on to you exactly what I received. And I want you to pass that on to other people who can receive it. And they continue to pass it on over and over again. And what is that thing? What is the center of it? What is the center of Christianity? What is the center of the Bible? It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the candy center in the middle of the Bible. The Old Testament was like, someone's coming, look ahead. This is all to point to something that's going to happen. The gospels are like, this is happening, this is happening. And everything that comes after it in the New Testament is saying, look at what happened. Go back to that, look at that, because it's all about Jesus. The Bible is not a book that is some narrative that starts in Genesis that comes to its ultimate conclusion in, in, in the book of Revelation. That's not how it works. In fact, we, the thing is, the Bible is not really even a narrative. See, Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible wasn't written so that Christianity could then grow out of it. It's not some religious document that was created as, you know, the constitution and bylaws of Christianity so that Christianity could then become a thing. It's the opposite. The Bible exists because Christianity was a thing. The Bible exists because people were followers of Jesus. And people were followers of Jesus because they believed that as scripture said and as eyewitnesses said, that he died and that he rose from the dead three days later. And they were willing to put everything on that. That's why we have the Bible even today. And it all started with the event of Jesus' resurrection. And here's the thing. It, when Paul wrote the, new, the letters of the New Testament, when the gospel writers wrote all of that stuff, when the writers of the Old Testament and Moses wrote all of that, they weren't writing the Bible. Paul was writing letters. He was writing letters to people in his world to point them to Jesus, to say, look back to Jesus, look back to Jesus. Don't get caught up in the development of all these other things. Don't get caught up in the development of this, this universal, you know, global church. Look back to Jesus in letters. But in the spiritual wisdom, I think Paul was led by God to maybe even understand this, is that today we needed to know and we needed to be reminded the message of the Bible, the center of the Bible, it's this. Look back to Jesus. It's all about him. And the Bible story, it was a story for them. And it's a story for us. It's a story for every generation. And it's a story for you. And I'll wrap up with this last thought. The, the big question to wrestle with as it relates to the Bible is this. And I'll even preface it by saying this. You may still be here and you may, you may still have some problems with the Bible. You may not be at peace with everything that is, that is in the Bible still. Even as a follower of Jesus, you may not be at peace with everything that's in the Bible. And I would say this, the greatest question, the most important question is not, are you at peace with everything that's in the Bible? The, the real question, the most important question is, are you at peace with the God who sent his son to die for your sins because he loved you? 
whose death and resurrection inspired the Bible? Are you at peace with the God who has a plan and a purpose for your life, who was willing to move heaven and earth so that you could know him, who for hundreds of years after Jesus' resurrection, there was no Bible for his followers to read. There was just the message of God's love. Are you at peace with that God? And I hope this, I hope that the story of the Bible does not lead you to necessarily walk out of here going, I can credibly trust and believe the Bible, but that it leads you to believe this, I can credibly and believably trust in Jesus because he is the center of the Bible. And that is the story of the Bible. And as grown-ups who are past the Sunday school stories and the Sunday school faith, who wrestle with faith of the real world, it's Jesus that is the answer for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're speaking to us. And I just pray, God, that I pray that you would help us to, to see your word, God, not as some grand religious document, but instead as a portrait of the love and the character of Jesus and a description of the relationship, God, that you want to have with us. I thank you that every page of that book points to Jesus. And I pray, God, that as we read it, as we interact with it, Father, that this is the filter that we would see it through. That as we wrestle with the things that we maybe don't have peace with in your word, God, that we would see those th things through the lenses of the fact that the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament are always pointing ahead to Jesus, that the gospels point to him right now, and that everything in the New Testament is just consistently pointing back to him, that, that Jesus, you are the filter. God, and I pray that you would be the thing guides our steps and that guides our hearts and speaks into our lives. If you're here today, every head is bowed and every eye is still closed. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and, uh, and you're hearing this, and I, God just wants you to know he's not asking you to have a relationship with a book. He's asking you to have a relationship with a living and a loving God. And he's asking you today, will you put your trust, will you put your faith in him? Will you stand with, will you stand with generations of eyewitnesses? And from the beginning, those who saw Jesus, all the way down through us who have experienced what a life saying yes to Jesus means and the transformation that's happened in me and in the dozens of other people in this room who said yes to Jesus and the hundreds and thousands of people around this world who said yes to Jesus and had their lives completely transformed by looking back to his life and his death and his resurrection. And today, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, you're gonna say, Chris, I'm in. I just want to say, I, I need this in my life. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. So nobody's looking around. Just very quickly so I can pray for you. Will you just slip your hand up? Say, Chris, I want to follow Jesus today. Lord, I thank you for every single person, God, who's lifted a hand, God, and who, who desires a new relationship with you, God. And Lord, even though it, has been, it sometimes is a challenge, God, for us to navigate through some of the things that are in the Bible, Lord, knowing this, that you are at the heart that your relationship with us and your desire for that is at the heart, God, is everything. And I pray, God, that with those who lifted their hands, God, I pray that you forgive me of my sin. God, I just, I confess now that I just need you. And I'm, I'm willing to put my faith and my belief in the fact, God, that that's all you want from me is a relationship. So Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died and that you rose for me, both as according to the scriptures 
And as eyewitnesses saw Jesus, and I just ask that you would transform my life as you've been transforming lives for generations. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in your awesome name. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.